Did you want some lip? Well, I wanted a little bit of um, maybe a little bit of foundation. Oh, I, I can name this not foundation. No, I don't know. I don't think it's going to work. I'll just do my support here. Welcome to episode 10 of Docography. It's a different one we've never done before. Today we're going to talk to three people and this is a prequel to episode 8 with Campbell Murdoch, a walk down memory lane um, and a visit to the beginnings of the RCSWA in Kalgoorlie. Uh, we're going to speak today to Rhonda Worthington, who's been with the RCS from the beginning and worked for 19 years with the RCSWA. Born in Kalgoorlie, she's always worked in health and since the beginning has been a linchpin of the inner workings of the RCS. Vivian Duggan was working for the Division of General Practice when she heard about some funding that would soon become available to start rural clinical schools. With her know-how, can-do attitude and skills in finding the right people to talk to, skills she still uses today with the RCSWA training hubs, we've got the right people in the right place to turn the spark of an idea into a reality. Dr. Phil Reed was one of our first medical coordinators in Kalgoorlie and has many a story about some of our finest rural doctors today. He has what's so important in the RCS, the great sense of fun and wisdom to share about building an education program from scratch in a town that he had dedicated his um, large part of his career doctoring in. You'll recognise from the conversation today the sense of fun, um, the sense of uh, dedication to rural towns that has made the RCSWA into what it is today. And I hope you enjoy this walk down memory lane to see where it all began. In the next little story, you'll hear Phil talking about how uh, he and Campbell used to correspond in the early days. When I was talking to him, um, I had a chat with him on email and I reminded him he used to have this stamp on his desk. Um, Get this big stamp with the red stamp pen, and it was a pig. And when he stamped it, it said pig's ass. <laughs> so I used to get all these correspondence from the to the stamp and give it to Ron. So this is a really exciting episode of Docography. Welcome to everyone. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a walk down memory lane and see how the RCS began. And I think the best people to introduce you, you guys, are you guys. So do you want to introduce each other to us? Well, I'll introduce Viv. Um, I first met Viv in 1995 when I was, I think, uh, Chairman of the Division of General Practice. And... Um, this uh, uh, memo came out that I think from Quentin Short from Perth who was working with Wackram in those days that we needed, he'd identified a CEO for the Division of General Practice. So we uh, set up an interview and along came Vivian Duggan to the interview 
And I think she was the only person in the interview. I think you were more than that. I think I think I might have been interviewed oh, too, yeah. Phil. Stick out of my mind. <laughs> we gave the job, and then the Eastern Goldfields Medical Division of General Practice, which is a very august organisation, was set up. Highly successful under big CEO uh, tutelage, and um, you know, through the form Viv kind of did everything. I'm, I need lots of organising, so she organised. And then um, pretty soon we met uh, we met Jim, uh, Viv's um, husband, and um, formed this lifelong friendship together. And so, and then I first met Rhonda because Rhonda, um, I was the uh, medical superintendent at the Calgary Hospital, and Rhonda was brought in to type up all the manuals for accreditation, and she could type twenty thousand million words a second. <laughs> And had all these manuals done in about a week, and so we got accreditation thanks to Rhonda. You know, so that's how I met Rhonda, and then I found out that my dad had delivered Rhonda, but he didn't turn up in time at the Calgary Hospital. He apparently walked into the labour ward and he was eating a piece of toast, and said to Rhonda's mum, "You couldn't paint it because Rhonda." <laughs> didn't so there you are. I've done Rhonda and you. Good on and you, Phil. <laughs> and I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Phil Reed, who um, I actually met at the very end of 1994, I was just remembering my dates, and yeah, he was the chair, the, the inaugural chair of the division at the time, and, um, and under Phil's stewardship, we, we, we could be really dynamic and innovative and really take on things that others hadn't done before, and that's why, you know, we... Um, we're able to do a lot of national programs that, um, you know, we, we were able to trial a lot of national things in those days that we just don't see happening anymore. So it was, it was a fun time. We did things like immunisation and the famous um, voice over the internet telephones. Well, that, the VoIP, the e-health and things like that. And that was a big national program yeah. by Cisco Systems. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So they, they, they were great times because you could literally write your own script and, and do whatever you liked to be innovative, which was fun. So. And all that innovation was coming out of little old Kalgoorlie, hey? I think that's a little bit, that, in, that innovation was a little bit like um, the RCS when it first started up too. But I can't remember when I first met Phil, but it's been a long time because I've always been around hospitals and health and health insurance and, you know, all, always around the zone there. And I was practice manager when I first met Viv around about 1994 as well so we've we all go back a very long time well when i first met rhonda um she worked for um, mr mike mcgushin um sorry mike mcgushin who was a surgeon in recovery at the time but he was also chair of the other organization for medical practitioners in town eastern goldfield medical association so um we used to all have joined meetings together, so and that's how I got to meet Rhonda through through Mike initially. Um, yeah, so it was quite nice all those sort of contacts and stuff at the beginning. So, do you want to take us through the the early days of um, of this kind of idea of the RCS and how you guys uh, were instrumental in? Yeah. So before we get carried away, so this lady here was the great enabler of all of this stuff. 
and there are lots of people that wander around the RCS telling you different stories, but Viv was the lady that first got onto the message uh, trail from Canberra to say that real clinical schools are starting, we better get ourselves organised. And already um, the Dean at that time, Professor Lou Landau, was running these meetings in Perth about um, rural clinical schools and it was one day Viv said I think we better go and go to one of these meetings so over to you yeah no it was back in around 2000 um, that I saw one of the big health strategies come out from Canberra and they were setting up or it was even before that late 1990s and um, you know how they were going to work through the universities and we thought well you know when I read this contract that had been or big announcement I thought well you know we could host that in Kabul because I was saying at the time that it needed to be based in the country area um, so then um, yes we, we um, heard about these meetings or we contacted the university and heard about these meetings saying we'd like to put our hand up you know we could actually you know set up the, the head site in, in Kabuli and we've got a we had a fantastic medical workforce there at the time and and also the doctors both um the general practitioners and specialists were really keen to be involved and to teach and you know there was a lot of enthusiasm at that time so um yeah we thought well we, we can do this so easy but in fact it didn't end up to be as easy as we thought it would be because we didn't expect all the resistance that we did end up getting from uwa and mm -hmm. Some of those early comments were, well, um, you know, you'd never um, set up a rural clinical school in the country in Western Australia. It would never work, or you'd never get a head of school who would ever want to live in the country, let alone Kalgoorlie, yeah. you know. And so, you know, this was like a red flag to a ball, really, wasn't it? Well, you only have to go down to the uh, older courthouse to see all the um, secession uh, movement, uh, the 1930s boats that are still recorded on the notice board there. So that, to, to be told that Calvary could never do this was, um, spurred us on tremendously, didn't it? Sure and it did. spurred Campbell on too, once we got him, uh, in. Oh, yes. Well, we should yeah. probably go back a step because, um, when we sort of heard all this, we thought, well, how can we make it work? And there were a couple of things that happened at the same time. So I was um, fortunate enough to be invited to this um, dinner, you know, in town that the first secretary of the um, Department of Health and Aging at the time in Canberra was visiting Kalgoorlie. And, and the great thing about living in country towns is that, you know, you, you get these big diplomats or whatever. And, and so therefore you, you get to go along. I mean, if that happened in the city, you'd never get a Guernsey. So, um, and um, Dr. Fraser Moss at the time, who was the medical director of the hospital, he actually also owned the restaurant. So I was saying to Fraser, can you make sure I can sit next to her and um, talk to her about all the stuff, all the problems that we were having? So I did, and I said, oh, look, you know, um, you know, we we're really keen to set up a rural clinical school in um, Kalgoorlie. And, but, you know, the university saying, that, oh no, it can only ever be based in Perth. But I did see that, you know, um, the mandate was that it was required to be based in the country area. 
And, and she was saying, well, um, it won't be funded unless it's based in the country. So I thought, well, we'll have one of them there. And then the next one was um, Harriet Dens Ganae. She was um, then, I think, president or something of the RACGP. No, she, she wasn't president. She it, was. Um, she worked at the RACGP oh, she worked. doing some, something or other. Yeah. And I so, can't remember. Anyway. I just, well, she, she, she was, um, I think, visiting Kalgoorlie as a medical, maybe medical educator. Yeah, that's what it was. And um, so I was saying to her, oh, look, you know, we'd really love to have this here and everyone's really keen. And she said, oh, I might know someone. She's, um, so anyway, she connected us with Campbell and we rang Campbell and told him all the issues that we'd been having. In Winton, you just finished afternoon surgery. Yeah, yeah. And, so, um, you know, again, to him, it was almost like a red rag to a bull. He said, well, I'm highly qualified. I've done this in Saudi Arabia. You know that universities <laughs> and I don't get on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so anyway, um, and like they also said to us at the university at the time, um, in fact, one Emirate professor said to me at the time, what would I know what we need? I'm just a, um, a social worker administrator. I have no idea what we would need at, for a head of school because at this point we just identified Campbell and they were saying, well, we wouldn't have a clue what we were looking at. But anyway, that's all history now. Yeah, so we, so the, the thing was we found the head of school and he was flown into New Zealand directly to Kalgoorlie. He didn't go to Perth. Well, he may have flown into Perth and straight to Kalgoorlie. So he didn't go and see the boffins at UWA and came straight to us. Yeah. Well, we flew him across through the um, Eastern Goldfields Division. And yeah, we um, paid for him. Yeah, we, we paid for him. Yeah. It would have been front end of the pointy end of the plane for Campbell, too. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and there were there was a direct flight at that time from Melbourne, so we were able to get him straight into Cal. Ah, oh, that's right. He came straight from Melbourne. Yeah. On the Sky West flight. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So then that night um, we had a big you know dinner had you know a really nice hotel, the Cornwall Hotel, Cornwall Hotel in Cal, and um, oh look, it was the, the funniest thing because all the medical practitioners in town came. You know, there was hardly a seat left, and. Everyone was up telling all these walkers jokes, and I, uh, and he was as well, and it was just yes. hilarious. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that, wasn't it? And then after that, you drove them downhill to, to um, something like that. I think I might have taken. We might have flown down to Perth together. Yeah. And then we went to one of those Lou Landau meetings, yes. and um, he was treated with. Um, not disdain, he was treated with um, long faces from a thousand paces, to give it away. <laughs> uh, they didn't know what to make of him, and they didn't um, believe basically what we'd done. They didn't want to believe what we'd done. So he said, look, you said we couldn't find a head of school, you said we couldn't do it in Calvulius, the, uh, you know, the, 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 what do we call it, Rhonda? The, Head office. Yeah, the headquarters, yep. The headquarters. Here you go. Here's a professor. He knows all about teaching students. Um, what do you think? 
And they really didn't give them a, a welcoming time. It was, right. you know, that they, they were almost looking for, for fault rather than yeah. looking at how it could work. It was quite, you know, quite... And there was one particular individual who remained nameless because they might hear this, but proceeded to kind of interview him at the meeting with everyone there. Like, so eventually the... The Dean, Lou Landau, decided to go to the Vice-Chancellor and the Vice-Chancellor then paraded Campbell in front of the Senate, I think, <laughs> senior professors and Campbell was asked by some toffee-nosed person, and how many PhD uh, candidates <laughs> have you had, Campbell? <laughs> so Campbell? You know, Campbell lapsed into very... Scottish brogue <laughs> said something inappropriate, and they all believed him, and they appointed him as acting head of school. And then he had to go through a process. Uh, the for, the formal interview and give presentations yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Dunk in sheep dip and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway, eventually they made him head of school. Yeah. And, and then um, he came out to Kalgoorlie, and um, we used to have many meetings in my office there where we'd have this massive whiteboard about, you know, what we can do with the world and how we can plan things. And these things are still being talked about today, you know, but this was way back then. But he also asked about, well, do you know anyone who, you know, would be suitable to, to manage this? And um, I thought of Rhonda straight away because I knew how efficient ah, she was. that's how Rhonda came and in. And that's how picture. Rhonda came in. So I went round to her office and I said, oh, Rhonda, would you be interested in this job? <laughs> what, what actually happened oh, oh. What actually happened was I was between jobs. I'd come out of health insurance that had gone into administration and it wasn't a very nice experience at all. And you rang me and you said, please don't accept another job without talking to me. And, and I had been talking to other potential employers at the time and I thought, no, I trust Viv. I'm not going to accept any of those other jobs. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And as it turned out, 18 and a half years later, I'm still here and loving it. Best employer I've ever had. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Mm. Um, so so what, what made each of you decide to take on your roles in, in that process? What was, what was the attraction, apart from the no's, which seemed to have united everyone, <laughs> people saying that you couldn't? It was exciting yeah. and it was fun. Uh, at that particular time, um, I was probably working too hard. And to me, uh, I could see what I always referred to as come up for air, come up for oxygen. That I could actually, on a Monday, not have to go to the rooms after a busy weekend on call or whatever. I could go down to the Rural People's School, talk to the students and organise them and do whatever. And, um, and Monday mornings was special because... Oh, was a joke morning. We'd start in Campbell's office, Rhonda, myself, Campbell, and we'd tell as many jokes as we could think of and we all would laugh for, for about 45 minutes and then we'd get down to business about what had to be done. Um, and Campbell would reveal um, the plan, I guess, for the week or the fortnight and say, well, now we've got to go and talk to the psychiatrist, we've got to go and talk to the 
physicians. We've got to go to talk to the paediatricians. So I've already spoken to so-and-so and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And no one believes we can teach paediatrics in Calgary. No one believes we can teach them anything. So we've got to go down and see them. So he'd often go by himself or occasionally I'd go. And he'd, um, he'd just sit there and listen to them and say, well, you know, we can um, we believe we can do it. And, and the, the professors say, but we'll never see the students. We'll never meet the students. How will they know who we are? We said, oh, they trust us. And yeah, there's that kind of stuff in the early days. The students were being told, don't go to the rural clinical school because you're going to have to repeat fifth year next year if you go out to the rural clinical school. Yeah. So you're going to waste a year. So you're not going to pass. Um, and, and we completely turned that around. Yeah, there are all these lazy, all these people, negative people. They're so negative about us. This is a flash in the pan. This will only last five years. You'll get sick of teaching students. Blah, blah, blah. Do you think so, that the um, students that were attracted to that were a bit more pioneer type students yes. then that, that also brought that energy of yep. watch us, we will show you? Yep. Yeah, no, no, I, I think they were. I Look, there, there were some fantastic students. There still are. I mean, we've had nearly 1,300 students through at the moment. But those first um, years were very special and they were very much the pioneers. Yeah. I'm just going to reflect on those numbers because they're amazing. So the first year in 2002, you had seven students. Mm. This year in 2020, we have 106 students and all... 101. 101, 101 left. 101. It started off with 106. Yep. And all up, we've had 1,274 students through the rural clinical school since these yep. days you're talking about, which is amazing. So yep. the naysayers definitely got it wrong, didn't they? They did. And some pretty spe spectacular people have come out of the, the rural clinical school as well. So oh, amazing staff and students. Some people who were so important we can't tell stories about them anymore, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing that I reflect on as a relative newcomer, because I'm, um, I'm trained elsewhere and joined the RCS in my uh, postgraduate years, but uh, is the ability for the RCS to um, have this long-term loyalty. So people kind of never leave, do they? It's a, it's like you're, you're part of the family and you might go and do other things, but you're always part of the RCS anyway, yeah. as evidenced by this meeting today. <laughs> Well, that's exactly right because, um, you know, being involved in the very early days, you know, I've come back to work for the RCS over the last few years and, you know, love it. It's just great. And it is a it is a sense of a family. And, and the great thing about the RCS and the people that work for it currently, I, I find, is meeting them all again because they were previous RCS students. So they've almost, um, you know, they've demonstrated and um, pr provided evidence that the program works because they've gone back to the country and supported students out there through their current medical coordinator roles. So, And what um, what kind of things helped you get through when it seemed like it was pretty tough? When, was there any, ever a time where you thought you might have bitten off more than you could chew? Never. I'd never worked so hard in all my life when I took this job on. They were really long hours I did in the beginning, but I never, ever lost faith. I think um, 
there were times when we we had to start well when we were teaching the entire year we had to teach um all the curriculum and then someone would pop up and say well okay you can teach the real clinical school 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 students ophthalmology can you do that and we said yeah sure we can i mean my philosophy was to keep one chapter in front of the students yep. i used to read ahead of them and I mean, I, I've kind of been across the material sometime in my career, but you have to refresh yourself and then update yourself. Um, there were times when, um, you know, we'd run out of like what to do with um, whether they could have enough patient contact. Um, and then we realised rapidly that, hang on, all the, all the, um, the curriculum comes through general practice. So you can find medical patients, eye patients, paediatric patients, cancer patients. You could find them all. And if the students sort of said, worries me, um, we, I don't know any patient. Well, I haven't seen any of these patients. Well, we'll find you. And we you know, sometimes bring these people into general practice, give them a consulting room, say, here you go. Talk to this person for three hours and, you know, you'll get all you need to know about some project or other what to write up. And if you have trouble, let me know. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff we had to think. I mean, one of the early one of the early ones I remember was gynecology and, and the male students. So it was all, oh no, I won't have a male student do my pap smear or examine me. So what we did in the early days is um, Delia Riley, who was the public health nurse, STI nurse, used to take the boys down to Hay Street in Kalgoorlie and they'd do the, all the swabs and examine the girls. The girls were quite happy for the boys to examine them. Do you and, want to explain Hay Street? You know what Hay Street is, Beth? Yeah, but just, maybe the listeners might need to, to know what rest- Red light district in Kalgoorlie. Yeah, so that was, you know, those kind of things um, were very uh, innovative in Kalgoorlie. And I think that ended up being um, something that happened in other universities as well. So I I think, you know, it's a pretty big story about this innovation coming from, you know, it's the different kind of gold that came out of Kalgoorlie, isn't it? (laughs) All these innovations that you yeah. guys, you know, that the RCSWA kind of forged. I used to strike a bit in the early days and say it was the crucible of all learning. I mean, in my 30 odd, five odd years in Calgary, I think I saw almost everything under the sun. Yeah. And if, if you sat around and took a lot of interest, went to ED, went around awards, went to your assigned GP, um, clinics and other specialist clinics, you'd find everything you needed and more than the students in, in Metro. And I think that it's pretty safe to say that's pretty accepted now as well, because in an, in an era of sub-specialisation, you know, being the thing that happens in Metro, yeah. we are the kind of last bastion of generalists, and it is... I think broadly accepted that if you want to see all the things, then rural's the place to be. So that sounds like it was uh, new new thinking when the RCS started. So, what are some of your favourite memories? 
Rhonda, you go first. Oh, Phil, thanks. Um, I think some of those orientations, those first few orientations were the most fun I've ever had in my life while I was being paid mm. for it. Yeah. And um, Phil, what's, what are some of your favourite memories? I've got thousands one of my favourite stories is when we stayed, Campbell and I were at the Hyatt Hotel, and I think we were going to meet the psychiatrist for our birth this morning. And at the same time, the president, the president, the Prime Minister of Malaysia was staying at the Hyatt Hotel, and we booked out an entire floor with all his entourage and security and everything. Anyway, we had breakfast and we went to walk out of the hotel and there's this red carpet going from the foyer right down to the taxi ring out the front. <laughs> Remember walking out and said, Campbell, I didn't realize you were so famous. One of the other ones was in the early days uh, at the Royal Clinical School in Kalgoorlie, we needed some motor vehicles. We had no motor vehicles of our own. So <laughs> I said to Rhonda, um, Rhonda, this motor vehicle problem, do you want me to go down to Ford Car Yard and see what I can find? We, said, both, she, we both went together. Make the requisition book with you. <laughs> and I bought two cars in two hours. We're, no, we were only gone 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was back in 20 minutes. <laughs> and when I got back, Ron was on the phone to the dean. Who's <laughs> getting in trouble because he's not allowed to sign a purchase order for cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. And we had the story about the bonking shed we haven't talked about yet either. Oh, the bonking shed. You tell that one. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a Viv story, isn't it? That was back in Viv, your... You know yeah. I do. Um, so it was interesting because um, when we sort of identified a site, I mean, initially um, the division general practice wanted to be, well, um, wanted to be co-located with the Royal Clinical School. We were going around and looking at potential buildings, but the university um, wanted, were adamant that the Royal Clinical School had to be a purpose-built building. Um, which came in, you know, so much more expensive than this premises that we were looking at, which was also brand new. Um, and it was going to be alongside where the um, Western Goldfields Division of Dental Practice offices were. So for years, we had a beautiful old heritage building there. Um, and just out from that was where they did the testing for the air. And the, uh, because there was lots of sulfur pollution. The sulfur dioxide testing from the mines uh, chimney. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And so um, so around lunchtime each day, there'd be um, someone who'd come in and go into this little hut, you know, outside our Like office. a sea container size hut. And um, then, um, then after a while, we'd, we'd see another car pull up. And so this became almost like a you know, daily or you know, a few times a week pattern where one car would come up first and, you know, she, another female would then arrive later when the male had gone in and, you know, and, and you could see because it was a flimsy um, structure, you could see the whole building moving. We had a lot of time to be out there with our, our heads up. But the sad thing was with the advent of the 
Royal Clinical School building site, it got demolished. It got demolished. <laughs> there's no more. What about biggest challenges? What are what are the biggest? What do you reckon the biggest challenges were back in those days? I think um, the lack of confidence that that the rural clinical school was going to work. The to give you an example, the ground lease at the Kalgoorlie Hospital on which the office sits on now took about three and a half to four years to get the ground lease sorted out and we were um, squabbling over things like who was going to take over the management of the building when the rural clinical school ceased to exist because nobody believed it was going to continue on. And in the end, Jim McGinty came in and told the health department to get their lawyers and the UWA lawyers together and they weren't allowed to leave the room until it was all sorted out and that actually happened. I was at that meeting and so was Campbell. Um, but there was no confidence. There was a brand spanking new building that had been erected in Kalgoorlie by the health insurer who'd gone into administration. That had cost them $500,000 to build that and they were going to sell it for cost. It would have been a good building for the rural clinical school to take on, but the university weren't confident that we were going to carry on. So we were never ever allowed to buy that $500,000 building. Instead, we had to spend about 2.6 million constructing one. We were told all sorts of stories about why that building wasn't suitable. Mm. It wasn't close enough to the hospital and work. Yeah. Mm. I found out years later what it was. It was the lack of confidence in the rural clinical school going to continue on. Yeah, I guess the other thing too, Beck, is um, writing exam questions is um, a big challenge at the beginning. Um, we kind of we kind of knew how to, what a topic might be, but whether it was going to cut the mustard was a good enough question uh, alongside a Perth written question is always the thing. But we got, we used to have um, the mock exams. Do they still call them farts? Yeah, I still call them farts. Mm -hmm. Michelle's yeah, trying to call them foskies. Formal assessment of rural <laughs> Yep. That was something Campbell thought up. You fart in the middle of the year and at the end of the year, it's summative assessment of rural training, which is a SARP, which is worth something. Well, fart's not worth much. <laughs> but anyway, we um, yeah, we got good at writing them. We had a we had a tribe of people that write them. Uh, when we were running, uh, I guess, full throttle when we were doing everything, doing the exams, all the exams for the whole year inside. I think that was very, very challenging. And Rhonda, I think, is the person that always made that happen really, really well. She still is. Rhonda could tell you what all the results were no, she the examiner's lunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe well, I could do that. And she still does. I'm sure she could. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think? The, what were the key things to help you get through the challenges? What was the what was the the key ingredients? Because it's clearly a roaring success, you know. I, and and the other question I have is, when did you know? When did you know you could stick it to the people who told you that it wasn't going to work? Well, didn't we get a national award? Isn't there a trophy? Two thousand seven, we got the Carrick Award. And 2008, we got the Premier's Award. They were really mm. good achievements. Mm. 
we, we knew we were on our way. <laughs> what was the question again, Beth? So the one was, when did you know that you'd made it and, and all those people were wrong? And then the second one was, what, what helped you get through though, that lack of confidence in those people? I think we had confidence, even though they didn't, Beck. I think we had the belief. Yeah. I used to talk about to the students about, because they'd come to site and the first four to six weeks was like a honeymoon period and then they'd start to panic. They'd come to me and say, oh, all my colleagues in Perth have had 17 tutorials on internal medicine and ECGs and we've had none. And I used to say, well, you know, you, know, you will have those, but you'll have them in a different kind of way. You have to trust this. It's like jumping in at the deep end. You will bob up to the surface and actually survive this year and you'll be better for it. And it was the end of 2003 when we had the students for the whole year when um, I can name Rachel Foster, who's now a prominent birthplace dermatologist. She swaggered into my office one about the end of September of the year and said, Bill, I've got it all in the bag. I know it all. I've got it all. So basically she had seen all the clinical material done all the coursework and was now starting to become, I guess, uh, had mastered um, her year. And she was highly confident. When I tell her that story, she said, yeah, I knew it then, but the following week I didn't. But you know what I mean? You know when, you know when yeah. you've all done it, when you've all done some kind of exam or course, you suddenly get it all. It's all come together and you feel really good about yourself. You'd see that, you know, they'd be going, you know, that this long process of doing everything they need to do and better than what their mates in birth were doing. And then yep. you'd kind of stuck because they would talk about it and then they'd see the case or they'd write the case up. And yeah, that, that would be my you know, view of what us and for well, them you, what, to see them do that light, well. bulb, that light bulb moment and have it yeah light bulb moments mm. that's when i knew that we, we nailed it yeah so the the latin word for curriculum means you go round and round round and round and round and mm. round, and round, and round and the students would you know get all upset because they didn't do well in something they come here this is how you do it now show me now show someone else. Now go to the ward and see a patient and do it. Come back next week and we've been able to do it. And so, you know, this yeah. thing is you've got to know it right now, you get 10 out of 10, you're no good. It's something I think we, well, certainly when I was working last year, so I managed to kind of beat out of them. You can't expect to know everything and be competent in everything all the time, but we'll show you how to do it and you'll know how to do it. Yeah. And I guess it must be very rewarding to see all the XRCS students becoming faculty members now as well because there's a it's a bit of an avalanche. I really, love seeing it? them come back onto our staff. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so yeah. wrapped when another one comes back onto the staff. Yeah. 
We were so generously funded in those years too that we were only ever supposed to have four sites. And look at us now, we've got 15 sites and that's largely due to the funding that we got and the fact that we couldn't spend it all and we kept setting up new sites every time we'd, we'd get to the end of a funding cycle and think, well, can we set up, you know, in Esperance and can we set up in Albany and Derby and all of these other places? And we just grew because of the, the funding that we were given to do it. Yeah, the other, I think the other really great strength there is the fact that we, UWA, Notre Dame and Curtin are all involved in the RCS. And if one university yeah. says, you know, this, you know, we're going to cut all this back and do all this stuff, they've got to, they got to have a unanimous vote to do stuff like that to, to tear the Royal School, Clinical School down to size. So I think that's a really major win for um, the RCS that you've got these three university control and, and uh, governance, I guess, of what happens. And I guess that's not an easily fought win no. because it's it's hard to work across universities, but it's it's a really um, a great thing that the RCS has been able to. I have to say, it's a fantastic relationship with everyone who's been involved with the executive though um going back to adrian bauer with notre dame who i think was the first dean god rest his soul yes um but every everyone that we've had on the executive there we've all pushed in the same direction and there's never been a harsh word spoken with any one of them that it's fantastic Oh, it's, it's fabulous and it just goes to show the strength in numbers you know uh, it's, and I think that's rural rural health is good at that they've they've you know across the board mm. rural health has learned that if you're all at the table then you've got a stronger voice so I think that is a definite strength of the RCSWA um if you could go back to yourself in those early years and whisper in your ear a bit of advice would it would you have any advice for yourself in the late 90s early noughties wonder Mm. No, no, just no, get on I, the ride. It was a great ride. Rhonda <laughs> is the, uh, the paragon of virtue. She, um, the amount of work Rhonda gets through is unbelievable. And I don't think any of us would have got anywhere in the thing. Rhonda. And also, of course, Viv at the beginning, Viv was our firebrand. She got us lined up with all this, this money that uh, um, the Liberal government identified as clinical schools that uh, Deputy um, Nationalist uh, Prime Minister, I'll tell you what his name. He was the one that thought up with all clinical schools. So, what would you have done differently, Viv? Uh, nothing really. I mean, we were so determined and, you know, there was nothing that was going to beat us. So, you know, we were, so really nothing. <laughs> and what about if you were um, advising, so I think it's been the birthplace of many more trailblazers, the RCS, um, or, or at least the, uh, the place that nurtures um, disruptors, as Campbell said, or trailblazers. Uh, so what would your advice be to someone who's taking on something that, um, you know, there's a lot of people telling them they can't or 
a lot of resistance. One of the things that um, we had at the time was Amir who had come across from Canberra and he always said to us, we had lots and lots of meetings with, actually it wasn't the mayor, he was the CEO, we had lots of meetings with him and um, he always said, um, Kalgoorlie has the can-do attitude. So, you know, you can do anything. And, and that was always the mantra that we got from him and we really sort of developed ourselves. Mm. But no, I think, um, you know, my, my thought always was that, you know, the word doctors comes from the Latin de chere, meaning to teach. So part of our, um, um, our responsibility as doctors is not only to, to treat the patients, but also to teach the students who are going to replace you. So it, I, and, and certainly my colleagues all were of the same um, idea that, you know, we, we, all, we were almost beaten down to, to teach. And I think that's where there's a lot of problems as I hear from third-place students who find that the teaching experiences change quite a lot and that, you know, what used to be the university departments in the teaching hospitals were kind of dumbed down or disappeared or weren't funded. Because in my day when I was a student, we always had a senior registrar who he would get his uh, his um, fellowship, but he'd hang around in the he, she, he or she would hang around in the teaching hospital and teach the students mm -hmm. and the the new graduates and the interns and all that kind of stuff. So that that model is um, something that is priceless, and you can't really understand it unless you've done it where you want to do it. It's amazing that we're here in 2020 with, you know, 15 sites and 101 students from those beginnings. And I think that the three of you and many other people that you could, you know, list for 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 hours are, are instrumental in that. So on behalf of the 1,274 people who've gone through the RCS and also I think the communities because Phil you spoke about writing questions and it's really important to get the questions right for learning but I think the other thing the RCS has done is get the questions right for the community because the metro based questions aren't relevant to the my patients here in Broome you know so we're actually putting our patients on the map as well uh, and getting the metro based doctors who may never come here to understand our context a little bit more as well so I think that the the ripple effect from the RCS is much bigger than just your uh, educational input into these doctors' careers, but also getting our patients recognised. I think more. our staff, so our staff need like to be to... included in that too, Beck, because yeah. they are amazing. We've we've yeah. got somewhere around 130 members of staff now, which is just incredible, and they are incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that the RCS is um, a testament to that. It's it's the people in the organisation that matter the most and we're really lucky to have such long staying fabulous trailblazing people such as yourselves and and all the other people I'm lucky enough to call colleagues and I think we're pretty we're, we're definitely going to be sticking around I don't think there's any um need to have our the uh, the plan of what to happen when we close Rhonda anymore. I don't think so no. <laughs> and and <laughs> And I think it's really exciting to see what happens next and um, just encourage that can-do attitude that 
that came out of Kalgoorlie and um, has spread around to the 15 sites. So thank you so much for coming today and, and chatting for Docography. It's been great um, and and lovely to spend some time with you. Yeah, thanks, Beck. Thanks, Beck. It's your hard work to putting these together too. So we've got another big job of editing it now. <laughs> thank I'm you. I'm really clinical school. Yeah, I think it's something to definitely be proud of. Thank you for joining us for episode 10 of Docography. Thanks very much to Phil, Viv and Rhonda for giving us some insight into the history of the RCSWA. If you'd like to drop us a line to tell us who you think we should interview or what you'd like to hear about on Docography, please do. Docography, D-O-C-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y at rcsforsamwa.edu.au. If you want to know more about the opportunities available to you in rural WA for medical training or work, drop us a line at hubs, H-U-B-S for Sam at rcsforsamwa.edu.au. Our next episode takes us down south again to Albany to meet rural generalist Jonathan Ramachandran, who is going to talk to us about working in palliative care, creativity in medicine, and the importance of self-care and um, a bit about burnout. So join us for that. Watch this space. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.